Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Propane, it's clean, efficient fuel produced right here in the United States. Schedule your propane service with a friend. Lakes Gas, a family-owned provider serving the upper Midwest for more than 60 years. 54 convenient locations in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now with offices in North Dakota and South Dakota, too. Lakes Gas employees live in the communities they serve, so you can expect personalized service from professionals. Oh, and the Lakes Gas offers competitive pricing without all the extras that tend to drive up fuel prices. Safe, dependable service. Lakes Gas, the right choice for your home, business, or farm. Visit lakesgas.com and join the family. So our temps are in the 80s and 90s, lots of sun and summer humidity. One of our favorite times of year to get out and document stories. Of late, I've been on the float plane, on the river in the drift boat, and fishing to help a camp named Confidence. Laura's also been out and about. Turkeys and trout, really, on her calendar. Today, we take some time to finally catch up and share our favorite stories from the road. I'm Bill Shirk. I hunt, I fish, I camp, and I tell tales. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. Well, Laura, good to see you. You're back in-house. I am back in-house. We're hanging out in your office. I'm checking out all your home decor. I see pheasant feathers, turkey feathers, art, some rapala hats. Been a long time since you've been in here. It has. You it's and so I clean. You tidied up nice for you me. And I, I appreciate that all the time. But we just kind of pass in the night. <laughs> we're ships in the night. That is true. And um, for as many people that think we're we're either related or we're married, um, we don't see each other very often at all. But at all, it is always a pleasure when I get to hang out with you. Though I'll, I'll be honest, I live vicariously through you online with the social media. Oh my gosh, you've been everywhere. Well, I it has been a busy spring and summer so far, I'll tell you that. But that's kind of the name of the game in, in, I mean, anybody that really enjoys the outdoors. I mean, for you, you are a winter lover. You winter camp. Um, I can't believe the temperatures that you go out in, um, which is impressive. But for me, summertime, it is rock and roll. Like, let's just get outside as much as we can. I feel like a lot of Minnesotans... As soon as the temperatures warm up, yep. it is ready, set, go. Crush as many outdoor activities, sports, whatever you can in the matter of now until August, September. Um, it feels like this mad rush, but so it's been busy. All right. So April, let's go back a bit of time. April, you plan a turkey hunt in South Dakota. Yes. I went turkey hunting on a family turkey hunt. Uh Minnesota bound cameras were not taking along on this hunt. It was just purely for um, family. But I grew up at a camp called Turkey Track Club. And my dad started a turkey hunting outfitter club uh, back, I think, 52 years ago now. So it's still running today. So I grew up as a little girl just hanging out there well before I could ever go out hunting turkeys. And we spent Easter's out there. I remember um, going on an Easter egg hunt through a cow pasture, and you're not only like tripping through cow pies, you're like 
running around getting cow manure on your boots, picking up Easter eggs. So that were some of my childhood memories. And then when I, I finally decided I wanted to um, go turkey hunting, it was a little bit later for me when I was in college or just outside of college, I shot my first turkey at my dad's turkey track club. Wow. And I haven't been back for quite a few years, so it was really special to have my sister and I and my dad and also my Uncle Roger, who lives in Rapid City, South Dakota, um, and the camp is located half hour outside of Rapid City, uh, to spend time with the four of us kind of redoing this childhood adventure. So um, it was so much fun. The Turkey Trek Club has moved to a new lodge, which the rooms were great, the food was great, and the turkeys are everywhere. And I had probably one of, I guess, the luckiest and fastest turkey hunts I've ever been on in my life. Yeah, so did you go right out and see birds, or was it a couple yes. days in? So I flew to Rapid City because I I brought my mom along. So my mom came out as well, and um, she wanted to spend time with my Aunt Kim, who's married to my Uncle Roger. And I had this companion fare, so I said, Mom, why don't you and I just fly, and it'll just be easier for her um, and me. So I we landed at noon and went right to the turkey camp. I put on my gear, and we head out. And uh, my Uncle Roger had knew this lady who had farmland that had a lot of turkeys on it. So we stopped there. We brought her a plant as a thank you, and we head out. And I saw a flock of turkeys as we're driving down the farm road, I'm like, wait, there, there's some right there. And so we thought, well, I don't know if they saw us, but we'll try to start talking. And my uncle is an incredible turkey caller. I had him on the podcast um, a few weeks ago to showcase some of his turkey calling skills and offer tips and tricks for others because he's competed and won a lot of turkey calling championships. So it was really fun to hear him calling birds. And when we saw the turkeys they were heading up this ridge and it was pretty steep. So just my uncle and I hopped out of the truck and kind of went to stalk them and see if we could get um, a little bit to the east of where they were to call them towards us. And my sister ended up driving the truck a little further out and my dad just stayed with her. So it was just my uncle and I, and I've not been out just hunting with just my uncle. So it was really a special moment. At one point he was calling and he was sounding, I'm not joking, like five hens clucking and fighting and doing whatever else at the same time. I kind of slowly turned around because he was behind me. And I was like, is that really is that you? really you? I couldn't believe it. I'm like, how are you doing that? Do you have like two hand calls and three mouth calls going at the same time? So anyway, and sure enough, he got this gobbler because he, the gobbler was really with a lot of hens. I mean, he, I, we didn't really think it was going to happen. And sure enough, he decided it was late in the afternoon. He didn't need those hens anymore. And he came strutting over and by five o'clock, that afternoon, I had my bird. Wow. So That's you put a normal. stock on them. You hop out of the truck. How far do you have to go? Up the ridge? Uh, it wasn't that far. I would say a couple hundred yards. I mean, it wasn't like we went that, because they were low on the ridge, kind of walking horizontally. They were going west, so we went east to see if we could get the, the, one of the males to turn around and come find the lone female in distress that was behind. And he certainly did. He was all um, strutted out. You know, they make that 
um, the drumming noise. But I, I wear ear protection when I go turkey hunting and pheasant hunting. I am a freak about protecting my ears. And my uncle's like, can you hear that? And I was like, no. Hear what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So um, I didn't really quite hear the drumming, but... Um, it was a clean shot, and um, it was a really big bird. He had he's probably four years old, four and a half years old. So that's old in the realm of of gobblers. And his spurs were an inch and a quarter. He had like a that's nine and good. a quarter inch beard or ten inch beard. Actually, wow. I think it was ten and a quarter. He was a big bird. Um, so that was awesome, so fun. And then when my sister and my dad hear, heard the shot. Um, and then they came on up the the ridge. My dad was huffing and puffing. I'm like, do you need to sit down? Um, so it was it was fun to share that moment. And my sister the, that morning had harvested her bird, so her hunt was really fast. Wow. Mine was quite fast. And then the next uh, morning we went out. So my dad had his license, and um, it took us a little bit longer to call in his bird, but he was able to have success too. So for all three of us. Um, pretty incredible. So it was really fun. And then we went, we drove to Custer State Park. Have you been through Custer State Park? I don't think I have been. I've been in the area, but yeah. I don't remember actually going in. It's um, it's a lot. It's huge. I didn't realize how big the park is, but they have the wildlife tour. So we, we decided to spend the rest of our afternoon because we didn't, you know, what do you do after you have all your birds harvested? And you all normally the bike. you party. Yeah, exactly. Well, we decided we didn't go to Deadwood. We could have done that. Yep. We played a little blackjack or something. But we uh, went to Custer State Park and did the wildlife tour, and it was quite funny because it was it was much longer than we anticipated. And we were in the end up being in the car for like three and a half hours, and the roads are so windy. I'm like, I'm getting sick. It was like a childhood car trip all over again. My dad's like, this is the road that never ends. But we saw like. We saw big horde sheep. We, of course, saw the bison. They had their baby. So it was, that's kind of how we wrapped up the trip. But that is a windy road. And I don't get car sick. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I am getting queasy. What is going on? It's just so many bends and turns. And um, and then we, you know, we get to the bison. My dad's kind of going the same speed. I'm like, can you slow down so we can maybe take a picture? <laughs> I think you just wanted to get through the tour. But so that was that. It was fun. It was really fun. How much do you love turkeys? I mean, when you think back to that bird you harvested this year, when you first saw either, you know, a fan or a head pop over the ridge, what's that moment like for you? Your adrenaline starts going, and any hunter knows what that experience is like. And I have personally have done a lot of work on managing managing the adrenaline and really working on like breath work before I pull the trigger um, and really dialing my focus in because that adrenaline can overtake you where you start shaking and you're, you know, you're either, um, if you're archery hunting or hunting with rifle shotgun, whatever, I mean, it can really mess up your shot. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I feel like I've really practiced those moments and try to um, prepare for those moments mentally, even before I get out there to make sure I have a really clean shot I don't want to miss and I don't want to wound an animal either. So, um, but yeah, your heart starts going and then I kind of just, I get really like focused and I make sure that I'm just really dialed into the moment, um, is what I try to do personally. So I've missed enough to have that heartache too, that, um, 
it's easy to miss if you're not careful. Yeah. Maybe not for you. With a tight pattern (laughs) on turkeys, you've got a couple inches and that's it. Yeah. So yeah, your adrenaline's going, but to hear it, what's so cool about the Merriam birds in South Dakota is they're so talkative. Yes. So when I went to Wisconsin shortly after my South Dakota trip, um, pretty quiet and they just chat. They're so chatty with you. And when you get some toms that are really, you know, I guess really searching for a female boy, are they noisy up until they just come right up to you. Um, but then they can be, you know, hooked up with hens and they're just not interested in you at all. So it's every day is different. If it's windy, they can shut down, you know, so that's kind of part of the the journey. I, I also found that I have like this rock fascination. I pick up a lot of rocks when I'm out, on, out in the trail. Okay. And I found... Do you petri- put them back down or put them in no. your pockets? I put them in my pockets. <laughs> I, it's kind of like this weird habit. I... I just learned something. Yes, about you. I have. I did this when I went on the glacier in Alaska. I brought some rocks home. Okay. And when we went to Friday Harbor, I picked up this driftwood that was really cool. A little piece of that, I brought that home, and I found a giant piece of rose quartz. There's rose quartz everywhere in South Dakota, but I found a giant piece of rose quartz, um, and I dug it out of the ground. And I also found a great piece of petrified wood. And I brought both of those things home and I, I wash them up, I scrub them, get the dirt out, and then I use them as home decor. So but you've I, got a little menagerie. I do. But I need to start writing. As much as I don't want to write on it, I need to write where it's from. Otherwise, my collection is going to get to a point where I yeah. can't remember which, where I got these things. Yeah. Someday you'll be my age and you'll realize yeah, just how bad that gets. I bet. I'm sure you've got collectibles too. What's this rock doing in my house? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What things do you collect? Uh, gosh, fishing rods. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> Turkey call strikers. Uh, I don't know. My wife would say I collect way too much junk. Um, Is that why you have your own? My little your, space. Yes, your space <laughs> the behind the house. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So you get back on an airplane. You Fly back to Minnesota, and then you get in a car and go to Wisconsin. Went right to Wisconsin. We filmed a segment for Minnesota Bound at a location in St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin. Yep. It's called Big Rock Creek. And oh, good. More rocks. <laughs> yes, more rocks to collect. Uh, Big Rock Creek is a fascinating location. It's actually open to the public. Um, it is privately owned. However, they have opportunities for people to come in and do glamping, Camping, trout fishing. Um, during the winter, they have a really cool holiday display there. But the reason we filmed the story at Big Rock Creek is 100 years ago, it was a trout hatchery. And a few railroad tycoons, including James J. Hill, uh, who is responsible for some of the railroads around here. Um, there's, we have James J. Hill Days in Wyzetta. If you haven't been out there, it's kind of a fun little festival. The railroad tycoons use this property, it's a thousand some acres, as um, a hunting lodge and kind of a gentleman's place to hang out, if you will. Yep. And when you drive onto the property, you don't, you feel like you're just going back through a dirt field at the moment. But when you get over the ridge and you drive down, you realize the magic of this place. And there is a natural bubbling stream that starts three miles out from the property, right out of the ground. And 100 years ago, they had the wherewithal to build a separate 
and I'm not going to get all this terminology right, but a separate stream. So the silt would all go down one side and they'd keep the one side completely fresh and running all year round for these trout. So not only do you still have hundreds of trout all over their property, but even on the stream, I've never seen such a natural, beautiful stream in my life. The wildflowers growing there, there's black bears eating in the fields, whatever, um, foraging. And, um, but the fresh watercress that's growing, there is morel mushrooms everywhere. They let you pick morel mushrooms, by the way, wow. on their property if you spend if the you're night. There. Yeah, yeah, if you're seeing. And same with the, you can hire a f- trout fishing guide if you'd like. You're allowed to keep one or two per person if you spend the night there. Ever, otherwise, everything's catch and release. And the turkey hunting. The land for turkey hunting is prime turkey hunting. I mean, the ridges, the water, it has everything needed. The day we were there, it was um, really windy that morning. And we kind of just got a bad morning. Very quiet. I didn't see it. I saw a few turkeys. We saw some hens. um, But they were by themselves. And other than that, dead silent. We heard nothing. But the trout fishing was great. Um, The property is pretty magical. Just to go explore the the property. We saw the old trout hatchery runs. Um, they believe that people think that um, trout were brought from the West back East. And mm. their philosophy is actually the trout started East and possibly even from that trout hatchery. And they were brought via railroad out West. Migrating West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You always hear stories about the trains crashed and the trout fell out of the barrels yes. and ended up in all these streams. Could be. We talk about that with uh, Steelhead in Lake Superior. Yes. You know, that the Canadians might have made that happen. Exactly. So really, really cool um, place to visit. Um, They're glamping. If you are not a fan of bringing all your gear, the glamping tents that they have are really cool. They have electricity, running water, um, a great bed. You know, it's 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 a great and they each have their own grill and their own space. So they do a really good job. The family that owns it, they... um, they said they just believe in good old family, old fashioned family fun, and that the property does reflect that. I'm just trying to figure out why I never get those assignments. Why you well, go I mean, and I end up in a snow cave at 42 below zero. Well, that's where you're happiest is in the snow is cave. Is that true? How yes. would you know? You've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> because I see your canvas snow tent setup, uh, and it's so sophisticated. Poor man's glamping. Um. Yeah, I mean, you have to haul all of your gear waist deep in snow for your magical moments. And for me, I, they just have it set up. It's kind of nice. Giddy up. All right. <laughs> well, you were in Canada. A, let's... Take oh, a break? Let's take a break. Thank some of the sponsors, and then we'll come back and talk about the forest fire. Uh-oh. True story. All right, I'm Bill Shirk, and uh, Laura Shera is my partner in crime, and uh, we are co-hosts of Minnesota Bound, and you are listening to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. You know, we need to thank all the sponsors who help bring us to you each week. Up first today, we want to give a big shout out to the Minnesota Propane Association. It's summer season, which means thunderstorms can roll on in. Are you prepared for a power outage at your home or business? The Minnesota Propane Association wants you to know that installing a propane generator will ensure peace of mind when the power goes out. 
Also, the same propane that powers your generator can also power all the major appliances in your home. Installing propane appliances instead of electric appliances in your home or business will reduce the size and cost of the generator. Imagine running all your gas appliances at one time versus picking and choosing which electric ones to run during a power outage. Reliable, affordable, safe. Propane, the energy for everyone. To find out more about generators and propane appliances, go to propane.com. Also, you need to know about Connecticut. Finally, we are into summer, the hot days and the cool water at the lake. It's cabin time. And for the Shirk family, that means Connecticut water in the woods. Last summer, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin, and oh boy, what a difference. Really, for as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that stinky, foul well water. But really, after a painless four-hour installation, we had Connecticut's soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make early morning coffee. Great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut water cleaned up the shower and the dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Also, a shout-out to Aquaside. Ah, summertime at the lake. It's all fun and games until... Weeds! Wipe out your lakefront weeds with Aquaside and make the most of your property's potential. Up to 4,000 square feet can be treated with just one 10-pound bag of Aquaside. Simply sprinkle the pellets around the weedy area and voila! Pristine, weed-free water. Visit us online at killlakeweeds.com and reclaim your lakefront today. Okay, it's one of those random days where both Laura and I are in the office, so we decided we'd better grab the microphones and catch up. Indeed, indeed. Uh, can I mention one more thing from the Wisconsin turkey hunt? Of course it has, you can. This is kind of a public service announcement, oh. and I do feel it's an important oh. message. Uh, I do want to hear about your forest fire. Uh, I feel itchy all of a sudden. <laughs> What's going on? Ah, is there something crawling yes. on me? It's called ticks. Um, so we know the ticks this season are atrocious. I keep hearing everywhere, and I've experienced it myself at this point. Oh? Yes. Do you have a story? Well, I do. I um, As we were turkey hunting in... Wisconsin. Um, I did prep for obviously trying to avoid wood, t wood ticks as much as I could. However, they were pretty thick. And when we were done uh, for the day, I, you know, I was doing checks. You obviously, you, when you change or whatever, you check everything. I had Kyle, the photographer. I'm like, can you check my hair? Because I have long, thick hair. And I, because I had a couple that were just kind of crawling at the ends. So gross. It is disgusting. I'm well, it sorry. gets worse. And Kyle's like, no, I don't see anything. I was like, okay, good. I think I, I'm, I'm clear. And I drive home to, I didn't drive home. I drove to my parents' house. Bacon was spending the night there because I, I did an overnight at, at Big Rock Creek. And sure enough, I get out of the car and my mom's standing there and I have another tick like in my hair. And so now I'm getting to the point, I'm like, I need we're going to comb through this with a fine tooth comb. So I'm like, mom, will you get a flashlight and just check, check and my hair? And she was hair? all happy. Yes. She She's gets like, to hang out with her daughter. Yes. So we start like going literally layer by layer through my hair. I found four 
ticks after I did I, what I thought was a very complete check of ticks. He and I had changed clothes, everything. Four ticks, two of which were attached. One was attached to my ear. Another one was attached somewhere else in the back of my head. What I could kind not of tick feel them. attached to your ear? One was a deer tick. So Yikes. then I got a little, like, not freaked out, but I was like, okay. And by um, the way, I meant to mention today, you look a little pale. Do to I? Me. <laughs> well, just off. <laughs> I'm, it's probably not Lyme's disease because what I found out after much research, of course, and then I'm Googling, I'm going right to like Dr. Google. Yeah, because it's probably a bad idea. Great <laughs> instead of doctors. <laughs> It was a really bad idea. Tickskill.com. Oh, um, so I did find out, though, if a tick is attached for less than 24 hours, your odds of Lyme, dis- Lyme's disease goes down. Correct. However, I also did not know that if you remove a tick that is embedded, within 72 hours, you have the opportunity to take an antibiotic, and your chance of getting Lyme's disease goes down by 99%. Yeah, you kind of nuke them up front. No, I did not know that. And the more I was chatting with people, they didn't know it either. I've had friends who are like, oh, my my kid had a tick. I didn't know that. So I did go to the doctor. And now the CDC says that all you need is one dose of one pill of an antibiotic within the 72-hour time frame um, to kill the bacteria. Because I thought, I didn't realize it was bacteria. I thought it was more like virus. Obviously, hadn't done a lot of research on Lyme disease, which is my bad. Anyway, so my PSA is... If you do find a deer tick, or even if you don't know what it is, um, save it, bring it to your doctor's office, and do the antibiotics around of whatever they suggest. I don't love antibiotics, but this case, mandatory. Yeah. So yeah. my ear did hurt like for, I don't know, f- three or four days after that. And that, that tick was not embedded for more than 24 hours. So those little stinkers, I don't know if that's what's going to eliminate all of us at some point, our ticks. They're awful. It's really bad. They're awful. About that same time, we were sitting around a campfire down in southern Minnesota doing a couple of Minnesota-bound episodes in the same deal. I'm sitting there by the fire at dark, and I feel a little something and look, and there's a deer tick. And I, I rarely, if ever, see deer ticks, right? Normal ticks are 15 times the size of deer ticks. And I had maybe half a dozen that night. Oh. And it was Kyle, photographer, sitting at the fire. and I, Or no, it was Pete. It was photographer Pete. And I think he thought I was kidding when I said, go to your tent, take everything off tonight, get your headlamp on, and do a really thorough personal check. Yes. and Because you do. You've got 24 to 48 hours if you find it attached. And incrementally, I think, the chance of limes jumps, you know, if it's been a couple of days. But yes, you get it out and you get to the doctor. It's awful. I will tell you a story. Growing up here, it feels like we never saw ticks. They just well, weren't just regular wood ticks. They'd they just be on weren't the dog, thing, not us. Yes. Right. So, in the late '90s, I was a news reporter down in North Carolina. And we were covering a national story on a murder, some random thing in my life, right, Uh, when I was a news guy. We went out with the detectives to the woods to the spot where they had found the body. What? So we walk in there with the detectives. 
the photojournalists, you know, kind of get some pictures of the scene, and we walk back out. Is it creepy? We're in there like 10 minutes, right? And we're on this dirt road, and the detectives, you know, it's like 100 degrees of summer. It's sweaty. I'm in a suit walking around in the woods, and these guys get into their, you know. You're in a suit at a Ford, murder scene walking around in the woods. police car, and they kind of roll down the window like, oh, uh, check for ticks, and they drive off. And so Matt Jensen, it was photographer Matt Jensen, he and I are standing on this dirt road like, really? So I take off my coat. I take off my shirt. We start digging in. We had probably 40 to 60 ticks a piece on us after being in those woods for like 10 or 15 minutes. That's disgusting. And I learned to absolutely hate. I don't believe it. I sat in a The woods in once. North Carolina and the brush, well, and it was awful. Well, what I found it out is awful. the Black Hills of South Dakota, they do not have t- wood ticks. So I'm like, turkey hunting from here on out, South Dakota only. I just Real implemented a new com. rule. I'm buying 10 acres. <laughs> I, know. I know. And that was looking on the map of where Lyme's d- disease is prevalent. Yeah. It is Thick Minnesota, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's other tick-borne diseases, other places, but Lyme's disease. Both of our states are completely covered. In Lyme's that. is the one that everyone is talking about, and it has an impact, right? Like I have acquaintances who have Lyme's, and it's not a five-day sickness. It's for some of them, it's been it's like a lifetime, a year, yeah, right, where they are really in a tough spot. So yes, you live with it, but doing your due diligence up front helps. Good PSA. All right, let's take another break. When we come back, we'll talk about the float plane and the forest fire. Sound like a deal? Sounds good. Okay, awesome. Uh, We have so many sponsors who help us get the Minnesota Bound podcast on the air each week. Up first, the Minnesota Historical Society. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. The Minnesota Historical Society invites you to take a historic adventure this summer. Become a member and get free access to 26 historic sites and museums across our state. You can learn about the places, people, and events that shaped Minnesota. Take in the sites at Split Rock Lighthouse. Explore state history at historic Fort Snelling. Learn about Native American culture past and present at Mille Lacs Indian Museum or see it all at the Minnesota History Center. Learn more and become a member. <clears throat> Come on. Learn more and become a member at mnhs.info adventures. Also, we'd like to give a shout out to our friends at Star Bank. Ron Shera here with a question. Have you ever heard of an economic first responder? That's an economic first responder. Well, it's real. Think of Star Bank. Star Bank is saving local businesses as an economic first responder in the Twin Cities, the West Metro, and rural Minnesota. Star Bank has been helping small businesses keep their lights on, pay their rent, pay their employees for months now. In fact, Star Bank has helped 629 local businesses during this pandemic. And they've been keeping small businesses on Minnesota's main streets as well. Keeping small businesses alive. Economic first responders, indeed. You know, 
Star Bank is our local hero during this pandemic. Find Star Bank at StarBank.net on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Bank locally with Star Bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. That's my choice, Star Bank. Ron Shera here. And a big thank you to Rudy Luther Toyota. Ready for a women-forward car dealership? Rudy Luther Toyota empowers their many women on staff in sales, management, and service. Whether you are looking for a new Toyota or pre-owned vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota has something for everyone. Every vehicle comes with a Luther Advantage. Ten cents off fuel and car wash discounts at holiday stations, Luther Advantage warranty, and five-day return policy on pre-owned vehicles. Located just five minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, off 394 and General Mills Boulevard. And they're also hiring. Want to join the team but don't know where to start? Visit RudyLutherToyota.com today. Okay, we're still sitting in the office. I still feel like I have stuff crawling on me. Thank you so much. Yes, you'll forever. Anytime you feel one little something, you're going to start going back to the murder scene where you're wearing a suit and had 40 ticks all over you. Uh, <laughs> that whole combination of all of those things sounds terrible. It's actually. just awful, right? <laughs> all I wanted to do is leave North Carolina. <laughs> and that's why I'm back in Minnesota. Yes. That was a long time ago. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy spring. You know, turkey hunting, believe it or not, I did not turkey hunt this year. First time in... 20 plus years. Really? Just the coaching, the soccer, the hockey stuff, the work schedule. It just does happen. Got in the way. While it's frustrating, you just kind of have to breathe a little bit and say, okay, on to the next chapter, right? Like my year is defined by the trips and the chapters. And so as soon as we get out of turkey season, we get to fishing opener in Minnesota. And then the week after fishing opener, my cousin and my brother-in-law both fly into town. We pack the truck, go pick up my dad, and then we drive back into Canada, back into the bush, get on a float plane, fly further out, and sit on a lake. For oh, a I didn't. Is this a tradition? I've been doing it a long, long time. Yep. I did not know that. Yep. Very Our destination cool. is a place called Cabilo. Owned by the Lone family uh, down here in the Twin Cities. Good friends of ours. And, you know, when you find a place like that that you fall in love with, you just keep going back. So, yeah. How was the fishing? Uh, so it was interesting, right? Everyone was worried about the ice this year. And it seems like it's an issue every year. We actually thought the ice would go out early. Uh, but it went out a little bit late. But we got up there. Water temps were like 60 degrees. The walleyes were biting. Nice. We couldn't find the big females, which is a little unusual hmm. um, for that water temperature. But who cares when you can go out and catch 100 walleyes in a day, right? Like, yeah. We're not there to brag about the biggest fish. We're just there to enjoy the environment and where we are. And for sure. I mean, if the fish are biting, it's always fun no matter what. I yeah. think walleye fishing for me personally can get a little boring if because you're just, just jigging you're along. So good at it. No, it's just and the jigging. One. And another one. I love and casting. It's the jigging that gets me. If nothing's yeah. biting, I'm like, yeah. what am I just exercising my hand? <laughs> What's happening? Well, my dad. So if they're only, biting, that's a good time. My dad only fishes walleyes one way. He said, doesn't matter. You can fish any way you want. 
as long as it's a little Joe, you're trolling behind the boat. And it can be any color as long as it's red and white. So okay, he's been stuck in his ways for Well, it's ever. working. And so we go and we troll. And the second boat will break off and go find a jig bite or throw cranks or play around. But we like to pike fish, too. In fact, just before you got in here today, I was online because I have... A, a couple of very special pike baits that I use almost exclusively. Um, one is called a Rapala Super Shadow Wrap, which they're not readily available in the United States. It's a European oh, bait. That's cool. And a couple of years ago, I was able to find a few for sale in Canada. But the swivel snaps on my leaders this year, it's almost like they were faulty. I lost three baits. No. That just the went away ones. because the clasps opened. No. And that never happened. So the super shadows went They're away. Gone. And then uh, Mr. Peterson of True Glide Baits, he works with the Swedes on a Strike Pro Guppy Jr. It's called, which is kind of a similar bait. It's like a glide bait or a jerk bait, um, smallish bait for pike. Lost two of those as well. The last two I had. And you right now cannot get them on planet Earth. Did you, like, take your baseball cap off and dive in the water to try to capture it? The problem is fear. the water is tannic <laughs> up there, right? It's uh-huh. the root beer colored water. Yeah, right. So even in uh-huh. two feet of water, you cannot see. Heartbreaking. Figure anything out. So it was just, yeah, something I have a else. question for you. Are you somebody that keeps and eats your northern pike uh very rare well first off i don't keep fish very often period um there are so many people who live by i'm going fishing so i have something to eat and i just don't live that way um we do keep a few walleyes to eat at cabillo sure um but really outside of that on a regular basis, I'm not catching and keeping. Now. I do the same. We, I release almost all my fish. We might catch a small pike. And just to mix things up, we'll clean it. Um, Only reason I ask is because we recently, for a while in the kitchen, just cooked northern pike. And it was amazing, right? It was good. It's, um, it has like a consistency of almost like a, what a swordfish would be. It's very mm-hmm. dense. Yes. Um, and of course we, uh, did coconut crusted Northern Pike sticks. Yeah. Rude boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds and amazing. Yeah. It w- they were really good. Um, but of course, due to all the bones, people are really hesitant to keep and eat Northern Pike. So I was curious on what your philosophy is. If you know how to clean them, it's just not a big deal. Yeah. The definitely extra steps there. When I was much, 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 much younger, I had a lot of practice, so... I'm the five chunk guy. Got it. So there's a way you can flay them and you get five pieces out of them and you're not wasting. But yes, the bones are are a hassle. If you try to clean a pike like you would maybe a walleye or a perch or something like that, you're in big trouble. You're there for like four hours. Yep. <laughs> uh, so what happened with the forest fires? So kind of interesting. First off, this area we are, um, the logging companies. During COVID, 
right? U.S. travel was shut down. The tourism was dead. Most of the fly-in camps up in that part of Northwest Ontario were abandoned. There was nobody around. And the logging companies went nuts, literally nuts. So if we fly, you know, 40 miles over the bush, it is all logged now. You, no. you just cannot believe what happened. Now, I don't know all the specifics of the how and why, so I'm not accusing the loggers of doing something they're not supposed to. I just know that what the woods up there looked like three years ago and what they look like now, it's a shocking Interesting. difference. So you fly and you just see all the gravel roads that they've cut through the woods and the areas they've logged. It almost feels a little bit like corn and soybean fields in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Like, it's that. It's not wow. like, oh, there was a little logging over here. It's like the woods are gone. Wow. And they have to leave like a 75-foot buffer around the lakes. So you just see these little circles of trees around the lakes. And it's all water, right, with little patches in between. But anyhow, long story longer. So you, when you drive back in... when. At Ear Falls, we leave the pavement. It's 57 kilometers on a logging road back to Kabila Lodge where we get on the airplane and then fly out to one of their 11 lakes. And they've even logged along the road into Kabila. And they leave these slash piles that look like the size of a teepee. They're massive. And you look at the wood and go, how can they not find a use for all that? I mean... Logs that are 20 inches wide are in these piles. Hmm. So you're just looking at it going, well. So anyhow, we're back in the bush on Betty Lake. We come back in to make lunch. Um, and I look out to the west and I see a wisp of smoke. And we had hot, sunny weather, like 82 degrees, which do you know what that is in Celsius? You know what? I don't have that conversion table in front of me. Engineer Charlie, he's doing his math. 24, pretty close. Mm. Yep. Pretty close. Windy, hot, dry, which is early for that time of year. And, and we had so much snow in Minnesota, that part of Ontario, they did not have all the snow. So the water levels are actually low. Low. So I'm looking at this smoke, and I have a little Garmin satellite communicator for emergency type stuff and the smoke's getting bigger and i'm thinking do i need to like get on and buzz this in hmm nah it's probably a logger and they're burning one of those big slash piles yep but it's substantial smoke and i'm thinking hmm and then i can see a little dot i can see an airplane over the top of it. And I'm like, okay, well, they, somebody they knows. Saw, yeah. So it must be a slash pile. Next day, it was no more smoke. So Eric Lone flies in a few days later, picks us up. We fly back and say, hey, what was with the smoke? He said, oh, that was me above it. So that little dot, and I've got a picture I'll show you after the podcast with Eric checking it out. He was getting calls from... 50 miles away from pilots. You've got fire at Cabello. You got to get out now type stuff. He's like, no, it's not quite like that. 
but it was an actual forest fire. Oh, wow. That sparked uh, presumably from a logging truck because that's the only thing that's back there, whether it's cigarettes going out windows or, you know, they're racing down these gravel roads and rocks are, you know, clicking and sparking, but it's that dry. And that was one of like three fires in the area that day. So there's been talk that unless they really get a ton of rain, that they might start pulling the loggers out of the woods. So, of course, right now, we've been dealing with smoke here from Alberta, right? The western end of Canada. Then our weather pattern changes. And the next week, it's smoke from Quebec. So, you know, you think about Ontario being right in the middle of that. I just... Didn't they say it was 8 million acres that were burning in Canada? Probably. That that literally covered New York City and all that smoke it was that that's how big that forest fire is in Canada how many liters in an acre oh boy here we go <laughs> this, this is like one of those questions like if the train left the station going 35 miles 14. an hour <laughs> so I hated those in school <laughs> that was a little bit of excitement for us um, but, absolutely you know we caught big pike I lost those baits I sleep so well in the woods my favorite thing is getting up early, putting on a pot of coffee. Isn't that the best? It's so quiet. percolated coffee and just, yeah, it's one of my favorite things. And to be able to do it with my dad and oh, special cousin and brother-in-law is pretty sweet. And it then, is. you know, the Shirk Boys, Daddy Bragging writes here, straight A's for both of them. Nice. Love it. So they get to go back with me. To Cabello in August. Oh, so, fantastic. Along with my dad. So, oh, that'll be a great trip. Now that'll you know be a what great we trip. Do. do you have plans coming up for the 4th of July? <sighs> I'm not even Cabin? Lo- I'm not even looking out that far, right? There's so much going on between now and the 4th. I've got, That's drift, true. I've got drift boat trips on the river, of which, shameless self plug, I do have a Yellowstone drifter. 1980s wonderful drift boat for sale right now. Oh, because I have a new drift boat. Our podcast so, is turning into Craigslist. So I'm looking to <laughs> unload that to some lucky person who likes drifting and fishing. Well, I will put a second plug in for you. I'm sure it's an impeccable condition because Bill, I've seen your man cave and it is always clean and organized and all the stuff. You take very good care of your things. So if. You didn't have so many ticks crawling on you right now. <laughs> I'd come over there and hug you. <laughs> come on, they're friendly. But yeah, I've got a bunch of drift boat trips. We were on the river last Friday. The Mississippi River and the smallmouth were biting. Um, so I've got a bunch of those trips coming. We've got shoots coming a, up. We The drift boat uh, trip, you and I are going to do that this summer. We got to get that done. Because we talked about glorious. it last summer. Glorious. And... Uh, you, Ryan, and I will spend an afternoon. We'll go with Ryan. There are a couple of important Ryan Johnson. Ryans in my life. Remember, he was in the office here and we talked about oh, doing yes. a little drift boat trip. Oh, yes. But my other fishing buddy, Ryan Carts, Ryan Carter, Carts is a pretty hot oh, hand. He was Friday really? in the boat. Oh, my gosh. Did he whack him? So, yeah, fun. Uh, eventually, we'll get to the 4th of July. And then my sister's family comes up from. Hot Atlanta, Georgia. And so we'll spend some time at Gull Lake and Awesome. But right now it's just 
coaching every day of the week, trying to get through travel tournaments and da da da. da. It's just annoying. That is the life. Of, I love it, but it's of just parents a lot. with kids in sports. It's more intense now than it ever has been. Yep. Um, I see all my friends doing that, which is. Great, but it is an intense schedule. We're heading to Olympic National Park for 4th of July, so I'm looking forward to that tremendously. We've rented a little Airbnb A-frame cabin on a lake. It'll be nice and quiet. I'll have the percolator coffee going in the morning. The best. Can't wait. Uh, So where will you be in the park? Do you have any clue how that works? Explain to people where that is. Olympic National Park is west of Seattle. It basically um, touches the ocean. And it's so big, I don't know exactly the amount of acreage it has, but I have been trying to put together a list of hikes, the must-do hiking, because Dan and I really love to hike. And also, um, I've looked at Shishi Beach. Uh, they, you have an opportunity to hike down to the beach during low tide to see like some really beautiful rock formations. So you, you do indeed have to plan out what you want to do in a certain amount of days because, of course, some hikes are eight hours long. And um, we did buy our, our permit, of course, to have be in the park and everything ahead of time because those can sell out. So and isn't the state this parks, the area that's like rainforest? Yes, there is a rainforest there. That's correct. But I feel like I, with Washington, it is so much rain everywhere. I feel like the whole, not the whole state because part of the state is desert. The western side is very rainforest-ish. But yes, there are there is a specific rainforest back in Olympic National Park. And we, that is on the on the agenda as well. Waterfalls everywhere. It's so stunning. Yeah. It is a do it, that is a bucket list trip. If you've not been out to Washington, uh, Western Washington, um, put it on your list. It's so stunning. It's just no ticks there either. PSA. And that week I was gonna invite <laughs> you to go drift boating. Oh I'll be hiking. It'll just be me, Ryan, yeah. and Ryan. Well, August. We'll get it done. Yep. This has been on our to-do list, I think, for like five years now. It's a little embarrassing at this point. August. I'm not around much in August. <laughs> you see, I'm this is what happens every Lake year. Of the woods. I get I'm ousted. Yes. They're out fishing. They're like, oh, you missed the invitation in the mail. Must have gotten lost. We'll get it. We'll get you in the drift boat. I right. promise. Excellent. Scout's honor. Love it. All right. Uh so there you go. That wraps it up. Now we're caught up. Uh, you and I should probably get back together and pass each other about we do this September quarterly. September. Yes. About the state fair show time, and we can catch up and talk a little bit more. In the meantime, enjoy the mad rush of summer. Go go go! That's Yikes. where we're at. <laughs> all right. Before we get out of here, you're not done yet. You can't leave yet. Um, we got to thank all the sponsors who help us get on the air. Each week, there are so many. Of course, the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories, brought to you by Kinetico Water Treatment Systems. Also, our good friends at Star Bank, the Minnesota Historical Society, Rudy Luther Toyota, the Minnesota Propane Association, Aquaside, and Lakes Gas. There you go. That's our list. What do we always say at the end of the podcast? As always, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.